We're in 1 Corinthians. According to my calculations, we're on chapter 12. Spiritual gifts is going to be the subject. As you're reading 12 and 13, keep in mind the beginning of the letter. Because remember, the beginning of the letter, the first four chapters or so, he was talking about the attitude of separation and intellectual arrogance and so forth in the church. He was saying, you got some that say they follow Apollo, some follow Paul, some that kind of thing. And these are Greeks. And one of the things about Greeks typically, obviously not every Greek, but typically is they are somewhat like the French and they pride themselves on their intellect. So as they get a hold of something, they sort of tend to puff themselves up with their knowledge and strut around and say, I know this and I'm really smart. So as we're going through spiritual gifts, understand that what he's talking about is in that context. So let's start on uh, chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Yeshua is accursed, and no one can say Yeshua is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, a couple of things about this that I don't understand. In verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. That sentence is just sort of dropped in there without context. I'm not sure what that means. I will give you a guess. My guess is the reason you went after mute idols is because somebody convinced you that that was the right thing to do. You went after mute idols, but you were led there by someone. The sense here then is he's writing to former pagans. First off, he says that. And he then says that when you were pagans, you worshipped idols. And my reading of the sense there is that was sort of your culture. That's the society you lived in. So you were led to worship idols because that's what was done. The point is, in verse 3, he says, No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Yeshua is accursed, and no one can say Yeshua is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And again, I am assuming that that's something that is a question that has been asked to him in the letter he's answering. Not sure what the question was, but he's obviously answering a question there. Now, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right, stop there for a minute. The key teachings of this passage is these gifts of the Spirit are not for the bearer of them. So if God bestows upon you a gift of healing or a gift of wisdom or whatever, it isn't for you. It is so that you can use it to minister to the body. You are simply the conduit, if you will, of God's gift and God's power, and he needs someone to work through, and if it isn't you, it will be someone else. But the fact that he happens to be working with a spiritual gift through you, through your voice or through your hands, is not because you're such a hot shot, 
It's simply because you have made yourself available. And I am assuming, based on the tone of the whole letter, that you've got some people in that church that are operating in spiritual gifts, and they have puffed themselves up over it. You know, I have a gift of speaking in tongues, or I have a gift of healing, or I have a gift of the discerning of spirits, and look at me, God is using me, aren't I really special? That's the sense that I get from this letter, and what he's saying is, the reason that you have a spiritual gift is so that you can use it for the betterment of the body. So seven again. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To one is given the spirit of the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another varieties of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. So we have this list of spiritual gifts and various people in the body will operate in different ones of these gifts. I've told this story before I am an introvert. You all notice me around here, I sort of stand off in the corner and watch. Not that I'm aloof or anything, I'm just an introvert. And somebody wants to talk to me, happy to talk to you, but I typically don't initiate myself. Larry, on the other hand, is a salesman. And it's the way God has made each of us. It's just the way we are. And when I started praying for people, because that's part of my job, that goes with the territory. If you're going to be a pastor, you got to lay hand, you know, the Bible says you got to pray for people and so forth. Fine, I'll do it. So when I get people in the prayer room and I lay hands on them and start praying, things would come into my mind. And me, John, would say, I can't say that. I mean, if I say that, the person I'm praying for is just going to be terribly embarrassed because it's something very private and very personal. And what I've learned is that when those things come into my mind, I have to speak them out. Because I'm saying something that that person needs to hear. So if John gets in the way and my natural inclination is out of politeness not to say something, then something that God wants said doesn't get said. And of course, there's always the risk that the message isn't from God, it's from John. And that occasionally happens, and you know, okay, fine. I hope that people at least assume that I'm being benign. But what Paul is saying here is each of us has different gifts according to what we're called to do. I never would have known that I have a gift of healing until I got brought in to be a pastor. And the Bible says, all right, come to the elders of the church, they'll lay hands on you, they'll anoint you with oil, and, and fine. That's what the instructions say. That's what I'll do. And people get healed. That's not something I would have ever done, except that's what the position I am in requires. And so since the position I'm in requires it, I follow the instructions, and God is the one then who chooses to give the gifts. So now down to verse 12. And I've actually, in the last five minutes, covered most of verse 12. We'll go through it, but it's what I just said in a different way. So verse 12. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So what apparently is going on in this church is people are exhibiting various gifts of the Spirit. And in the first place, some people who have gifts that they regard as more desirable are puffing themselves up. And people who have gifts that they do not regard as so desirable are either looked down or are looking on the others with envy. So apparently dissension over the spiritual gifts because people think that the gift is something that's given to them for their own use as opposed to something that's given to them for the use of the body. 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And again, remember the previous chapter where he's talking about people coming into the church and eating. And you have people of means bringing a nice big picnic basket with wine and fine foods and all that kind of stuff where other people don't have anything to eat. So he rebukes them about not caring for one another. So this I see as a continuation of the same riff, that if you are exalting in something that God has given you and you're not using it for the benefit of everyone, that you're wrong. The point he's making is, if you don't have a gift that you want, that does not mean that you are any less useful to the body. If you do have a gift that somebody wants or admires or envies, that also doesn't mean that you are some kind of a spiritual hotshot and people can't do without you. Now, one of the things he'll say in just a minute is to earnestly desire the better of gifts. And one of the things that I do when I'm praying for people is I specifically say, the gift I need right now is the gift of healing. Please give me that gift right now because I need that gift for the person I'm praying for. I mean, that's perfectly biblical prayer. All right, let me give you what my attitude is. Do with this what you want. God gives some fairly specific directions. If one of you is sick, go to the elders of the church. who will anoint you with oil and pray. And the prayer of the faithful will heal the sick. It doesn't say anything in that passage about if it be God's will that afternoon. It's simply a straight up, this is what you do, this is the result you expect. So all I'm doing is following the directions. Now, I have seen people pull their punches in prayers. 
which is to say, Oh God, if it be your will and this poor wretch will live, please do something. But if it's not your will and he drops dead, then what, you know, that's pulling your punches. That's the, the one who is praying, covering his bases in case things don't work. And my perspective is when I pray for people, I go after them with sharp sticks. I go in and I say, this is what the word says. This is what that says I'm supposed to pray. I'm going to pray it. And if the poor wretch drops over dead, I'll step over the corpse and go on to the next one. Because the results are not my problem. The results are God's decision, not mine. And so if he looks at me and say, yeah, nice prayer, John, but not today, then that's not my problem. Go back to the garden, the fruit of the tree. What humanity decided, eating the fruit of the tree, is we don't want God's will in the world, we want our own will. What the Lord's Prayer is, is saying, we screwed up, God. We want your will to be done. That's my interpretation of thy will be done. We as humanity messed up when we ate of the forbidden fruit and we said we didn't want your will to be done on the earth. I'm saying I do want your will to be done on the earth. And as I read the instructions in the Bible, it's his will to heal. It's his will to deliver from unclean spirits. It's his will to do a lot of things. So he has told us in his word what his will is for each of these situations. Now, if there's some circumstance that's not visible to me that messes up my prayer so that my prayer is ineffective because of circumstances that I can't see, that is not my problem. My problem is to pray what I understand the will of God is in that circumstance, and then the results are in his hands, not in mine. I have no ability in my hands to make things happen. That's God. All I have is the ability to use my voice to pray into a situation. That's how I believe it. That's how I see it. And more often than not, people get delivered, people get healed, stuff happens. And it isn't my power, it's his power. And it's not my glory, it's his glory. All I'm doing is following the directions. So now we're all the way down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all forget, possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the better gifts. And I interpret that earnestly desire the better, or the higher gifts, I'm sorry, earnestly desire the higher gifts. I have it memorized the better gifts. I have that in my understanding as I need the gift that I need right now for the circumstance I'm in. If I'm dealing with somebody who's ill, I need a gift of healing. If I'm dealing with somebody who's being oppressed by unclean spirits, I need the gift of the discerning of spirits. If I'm dealing with somebody who's lost, I maybe need the, either a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Gifts are situational, and gifts are transitory is not quite the right word. Gifts can land on different people depending on who's doing what and who needs what. And when we pray for people in the prayer room, we'll have three or four elders and wives all lay hands. I have no idea whose hands God's going to use. 
And that's not my problem. My problem is there's a specific set of directions under those circumstances, follow the directions. And then the results are up to him. I have seen several miraculous healings. And the one that is easiest to see is before we even started the congregation. We were just into Torah. And there was a young woman who had sort of a massive lump in her chest. And a bunch of us got around, laid hands on her, and prayed for her. And she came back the next week, and she said, the next morning when I got up, it felt like something had clenched its fist in my chest, and it's gone. Just that fast. Others take time. We have had people who have had circumstances that seemed really kind of dire, and we've prayed for them, and they have come back and said, things work themselves out. As I say, I've prayed for people in situations and circumstances where they'd sort of run out of options. And next time I saw them, things just sort of worked themselves out, and everything's better now. One of the things that I will say about spiritual gifts is there are lots of denominations in the body that are of the opinion or the belief that those were for the apostolic times and they don't operate anymore. I find no scriptural support for that whatsoever. God doesn't say, once Paul's gone, then this is all over. And I have seen too many supernatural things happen just by following the directions. I am a firm believer that the gifts are alive and operative today if you will approach them the way God says to approach them. I am no longer amazed at what God does. I'm a very literal-minded guy. He gives me written directions, and I can follow them. Let me tell you my parachute story. Some of you have heard it a dozen times. Some of you have never heard it. I used to be a paratrooper when I was in the Army. And the question is, when do you have faith? And you know, I've been trained, I've been through jumps, all the, you know, but I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, go out to the rigging shed, and you draw a parachute. And they just hand you one at random. And you can say, boy, I believe in this parachute. This is a really good parachute. I know the company that made this parachute. I got stock in the company that made this parachute. This is a good parachute. The rigger who packed this parachute is my next-door neighbor. I know him. He's good. You get on the airplane, and you start flying. And... I know everything's going to be just fine. I've done this a dozen times before. It's going to be okay. And then you're standing in the door watching North Carolina go below at 1,000 feet. I will tell you when you have faith. You have faith when you step out the door. That's when you have faith. And you can say all the nonsense you want to say leading up to that. And if that helps you get your courage up, that's fine. But that's not faith. Faith is when you step out, and if the shoot's going to work, you're going to be okay. If the shoot's not going to work, you've got a problem. That's when you have faith in the parachute. God's the same way. If you go to God in prayer, and you leave yourself an exit strategy, in case it doesn't work, oh God, if it be your will, and it's Tuesday, and the moon is in full bloom, and whatever else, and all that kind of stuff, then please... Well, you now have so many weasel words in there that if nothing happens, it doesn't reflect on you. And that's what you're worried about. 
how is this going to look to me? If I stand up in front of the congregation and I say to somebody, you be healed, and they fall over dead, how are the people going to look at me? They're going to look at me like i got no power. They're going to look at me like i got no faith. They're going to look at me like I don't have a godly connection. Ooh, I better not say something like that. Because it will reflect badly on me. And I will tell you that if you approach prayer that way, you won't see miracles. Yes, comment was gift of tongues. Was that in the Old Testament? And apparently so. Because there are a number of vignettes in the Torah and the Tanakh where the Spirit falls on someone. And everyone around him knows it. So something happens. So in the case of Eldad and Medad, in the camp, they thought that the quota for elders had been met, so they didn't go up. They weren't in rebellion. They just, oh, it's supposed to be 70. It looks like we got 70. I guess we'll just wait here and see what happens. And the Spirit falls on them. And they start prophesying, whatever that means. And everybody around them knew, whoa, something's happened to these people. Same thing happens in the upper room. When the Spirit of God falls upon people, they start prophesying, if you will. So when the Holy Spirit lands on someone, Old Testament, New Testament, future, it becomes obvious to those around him that something has changed. My personal interpretation is they start speaking in tongues. The Old Testament would call it prophesying. I think that's what's going on. And another example, Cornelius. The Holy Spirit fell on the Romans in Cornelius' house. And all the Jews were saying, whoa, what just happened? Well, how did they know? And the answer to that, I think, is that the Romans started speaking in other tongues. That's, as far as I can tell, sort of a signature manifestation. In the Tanakh, God the Father is definitely center stage. Most of the stories about God the Father and God the Spirit shows up in vignettes as needed. And in the book of Acts, God the Father and God the Son show up in vignettes as needed, but center stage is the Spirit. There's no question about that. The Bible is organized into three distinct sections. And in each of the three sections, one member of the Godhead is center stage. The other members of the Godhead show up but they're not the main character. In the Tanakh, the main character is what we call God the Father, and the Gospels, the main character is God the Son, and in Acts, the main character is God the Spirit. And one does not replace the other. All three members of the Godhead show up in all three sections. It's just a question of who gets the most ink and what's, what's being said. The last verse in 1 Corinthians 12 is actually the lead-in to verse 13. He says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way, and that then is really, in the subject sense, the first sentence in chapter 13, where he then talks about love. So, let's not do that tonight. Let's do that next time.